Welcome to the Revive Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mazingo. Are you ready to get into it? All right, we're about to get into it today. And today is a very controversial subject, especially in the church. Uh, And I want to address it straight up because I think the Bible is clear. We just have to go at it and find out what it says. We're talking about the subjects of demons and the demonic activity today. And I'm just going to start with a little disclaimer that I cannot completely answer this next question this morning, so I'll do it at another time. But the question comes up, who are these demons and where did they come from? Now, here's the problem with that. There's about three significant lines of thinking about who these demonic actually are. Are they the fallen angels? Are they the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim? That'll throw some people around. Uh, Are they some pre Edemic race. And all I'm saying is I've investigated all that. I'm still pretty confident in the fallen angel side, but listen, it does not matter who they are or where they came from. What matters is that they're here today and we've been told to cast them out. Are you with me? So that's what we're going to do today. So the Bible talks a lot about demons. In the New Testament, 83 times the demonic is mentioned. 25% of Jesus' ministry was just dedicated to deliverance. In Matthew 10:1, Jesus sent people out with authority over demons. In Mark 16, 17, believers will cast out demons. Acts 16, 18, Paul cast a spirit out of a woman. Mark 1, 21 through 28, Jesus cast out an unclean spirit. Uh, Demons themselves, listen, you got to know a little bit about the demon. The demon has a will. Mark 5, 11 through 13, they ask, could you send us into the swine? They have emotion. James 2, 19, they believe in God and they tremble. They have knowledge. Mark 1, 21 through 28, they knew who Jesus was. Uh, They have self-awareness. Mark 5, 9, uh, Jesus asked the demon their name and they answered him. They have the ability to speak. In Mark 1, 26, the spirit cried out. In Mark 5, 9, they said, my name is Legion. In Acts 19, 15, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? They have false doctrines, according to 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Whoo, that was a whole sermon in about three minutes. There's a lot on this topic. But today, rather than keep you all day to fully go through it, I'm gonna go through what I think is important for today for us to know. What do they do here on the earth? Uh, We've been talking about being able to see in the spirit. We talk about the angelic host. Today, we're gonna talk about the demonic host. What are they doing? Because when we begin to recognize them, we begin to recognize the work of the demonic. When you begin to recognize the work of the demonic, listen to me, you get your critical spirit off of the person and onto what's causing the problem. Uh, It's important for us to know. So right now they torment emotionally, they torment physically, they tempt us, they lure us away from God and they can rule over you if you give them the right to and they will deceive you and they can induce infirmities, suicidal thoughts, depression. But listen to me, this has got to be what you walk away with today. Demons have no authority over Jesus. No authority over Jesus. And here's the great part. Jesus delegated his authority over them to you. We have authority. Listen, the demons have power. Your child can come up and slap you in the face. They have power. But then you can demonstrate your authority over that child. You can cast that child to their bedroom. Am I right? So they have power but no authority. Luke 10, 19. Jesus speaking, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. He is not talking about rattlesnakes and bugs. 
If you go into scripture, you will clearly see that snakes are identified with the demonic and so are scorpions uh, in Revelation. And so he's saying, uh, and you'll notice he says, I've given you power over the enemy and he's defined the enemy as snakes and scorpions. And in the scripture, the snakes and scorpions are defined as the demonic. Matthew 10, seven through eight. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. So here's what I'm saying. Demonic deliverance should be a normal part of a church ministry. It is here at Revive. And you say, well, I don't see all those screaming, flopping on the floor things. No, but you will. Maybe today. But we take it very seriously and we address it and we get people delivered. So the big question I am always asked, it's huge debate. We just posted on Facebook that I'm gonna be talking about this. And one of the first questions was, okay, show me the proof that a Christian can have a demon. Okay, so I'm just gonna go into scripture and I'm gonna talk about can Christians be possessed, afflicted, oppressed by a demonic presence? And there's two things you have to understand to know when you talk about the Christian, the saved believer, and the demonic. How do those things battle or not battle? And the two things you have to understand is one, how the word possessed is used in the New Testament. When he says someone was demon possessed, what did he mean? And two, you have to understand the body, the soul, and the spirit. And so I'm gonna address both of those so we can talk about it. Let's talk about those two things. When the Bible speaks of demon possession in the New Testament, it mentions it 14 times that someone was demon possessed. And so many people say, oh, but a Christian can't have a demon. Christians can't have a demon uh, because light and darkness can't live in the same place. If you have the Holy Spirit, a demon can't be there. Listen to me, uh, regardless of your line of thinking on that, if we, the church, don't know how to deal with demons, then we don't know how to help the lost. Because if you believe a Christian can't have a demon, the lost can. So we've got to learn how to deal with them for the lost. But today I'm gonna give you evidence scripturally for the Christian and the demonic, how that plays out so you can understand how that works. So some say that a Christian cannot have a demon because of 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. Here's what it says. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Bilal? Demonic presence, Bilal. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? So the line of thinking I was taught as I grew up was, this shows that the demonic and the Holy Spirit cannot be in the same place. So since the Holy Spirit is in the believer, then they can't have any type of demonic oppression. Are you with me? Here's the problem. This scripture is not talking about the demonic. It's talking about marrying an unbeliever. So let's stay in context. The scripture is saying a non-believer has nothing in common with a believer. They cannot work together. What partnership could they form because one is focused on the kingdom and Christ and the other is in the demonic realm? Oh, oh, oh. It's okay, they can be rescued from it. How can they partner a, a married believer and a non-believer? How can they partner? And Christ and Bilal are used as an example of two entities who have nothing in common. Are God and the demonic gonna work together? No. Do they coexist? Do they coexist? Yes. Yes, they do on this earth. Demons are here, the Holy Spirit is here, angelic hosts are here. They are coexisting on this earth together, but they're fighting each other. They're warring against each other. Is it possible for an unbeliever to marry a believer? Yes. But this is what Paul is warning us about, is that you cannot work together. You have nothing in common. There is no partnership between the believer and the unbeliever. And I want you to think about this. If you're gonna say the demonic cannot oppress the believer, then I'm gonna ask you this question. If your basis is that the Holy Spirit lives in the believer so there's no way the demonic can, then how is it that sin exists in the believer? 
How is it that darkness comes in to the life of a believer? How is it that we are tempted away to things? There's a struggle between light and darkness. Has anybody ever found that when you came to know Christ, sin has no influence over you at all? That past addiction does, gone, I'm good. That anger that you developed as a child from how you were treated just goes away. No, it's there. So do we as a believer still deal with sin? Yes, so darkness and the Holy Spirit are in the same place, but there's a consecration process we're going through when God gives us new desires in our heart and we begin to desire new things and we discipline ourselves and we flee and resist the devil so that we don't have to deal with those kind of things. We would have to define how the Holy Spirit and a demon can both be in the same person to say, can a Christian be possessed by a demon? And we're gonna get to that. Here's another scripture that used to say it can't exist. James 3, 11 through 13. Does a fountain send out the same opening both fresh and bitter water. I want you to remember when I tell you every single word is important because this is one of those places. I want you to look at this word. Does a fountain send out from the same opening? Have you ever talked about a fountain and said it's got an opening? That's gonna be relevant in a minute. Can it send out the same, both fresh and water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs, nor salt water can produce fresh? So it's asking, how does a fountain produce fresh water and bitter or salt water from the same opening. That's an indication of what he's talking about here. The scripture is talking about the power of the tongue, the power of our words, the fact that blessing and curses are coming from the same opening. Blessing and curses from the same opening. James is very practical when you read the book of James. And he goes on to say, you need wisdom from above in order for fresh water to come out of your opening. In order for fresh water to come out of your mouth, you need wisdom from above. So the scripture, the topic is not demons. People are just applying that to the demonic. So let's go back to the real question. Can a Christian be demon possessed? I gotta go to the next point. The next point is understanding the word possession and how it's used in scripture. In scripture, it says there are people who are demon possessed. And if you go into the Greek and you look for the word possessed, you're gonna find two words. You're gonna find two words. One word means ownership. I possess something. I possess a Jeep Grand Cherokee. I own that thing, it is mine, I possess it. The other one is to be have power over. You possess a power over. That's the two ways that uh, the Greek, uh, the, the demon possessed is called out in scripture. So demon, uh, demonio, uh, demonion, I'm sorry, demonion is the base word. Demon possessed is daimonizomai. And the definition is to be under the power of a demon. Remember, demons have power, they don't have authority. So when I'm saying, what I'm saying is in the scripture in the New Testament, when they use the word demon possessed, they're not saying the demon owns. They're saying the demon has power. The demon has power over the person. The demon has power over the person. So possess, the word in Greek is echo, echo. So if you see the word echo, it means you own it, you purchased it, okay? So Jesus talks to the rich young ruler and he says, you have to go get rid of everything you possess, everything you echo, okay? So there's the two different ways it's used. So a Christian, listen to me, this is the most critical thing you'll hear in this subject for you. The Christian has already been bought with a price. You are possessed by Jesus in the sense of echo, because he has bought you with a price. You are already possessed, you are already purchased, you are already owned, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Watch, you're not your own. 
You're not, you don't own you. You don't own you. You were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It's his, he owns it. That's important in this conversation. So a Christian cannot be owned by a demon. I am owned by Jesus Christ. I am owned. But can the Christian be under the power of the demonic? We're gonna get to it. But I want you to consider this because it's a little scary. A non-believer has not been bought with a price. So a non-believer can be demon echoed. So now we understand possessed and that the fact that there are two different kinds of words and demon possessed in scripture is talking about a demon has power over. So here's the second thing we gotta understand, the body, the soul, and the spirit. If you've been with us for very long, you've seen me demonstrate this many times. But once you understand this, scripture comes to life because you begin to understand what they're actually saying. The body, the soul, and the spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And now may God of peace, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have a body. I got one, you got one, we're looking at it right now. You got a soul, you can't see mine, I can't see your, but it's your thinking process. It's your emotions, it's your will, it's your desires. Those are things of the soul. It's your, what you're thinking when you're laying in bed at night, not speaking, but you're going through the day or tomorrow, whatever, that's your soul at work. But then you have a spirit. You have a spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Man has a spirit. And so man's spirit it's regenerated by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your regenerated spirit. And you're like, what? What is this pastor talking about? Titus 3, 4. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The spirit of man goes through a birth. Ephesians uh, 2, 1 through 9. Read it when you get home. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, but you've been made alive in Christ. Uh, Nicodemus goes to Jesus and he says, how do I enter the kingdom of God? He said, you got to be born of the water, but you also got to be born of the spirit. He says, how do I get back into my mother's womb? He said, no, no, no. I'm talking about your spirit coming to life. It has been in the kingdom of darkness. It has been controlled by the demonic and it is in death. Why? Because the enemy has it. But I'm going to bring it to life by washing it, renewing it, and indwelling it. So the Holy Spirit is indwelling in my spirit. You got to get this three parts. I've got a body, I've got a soul, I've got a spirit. But that spirit gets washed and renewed, brought to life, and the Holy Spirit dwells there. You're going to see in a minute why that is so important. Stay with me. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? I just want you to think for a moment. Why did he say you were the temple? Why did he say that God's Holy Spirit dwells in you and compare you to the temple? Why didn't he say you have become more like me because I'm dwelling in you? Because the temple is a diagram of you and I. The temple has three parts. It has an outer court, and in that outer court, they do physical animal sacrifices is what they did in the Old Testament day. They anointed with oil. They washed at the labor. It was all a physical process. But then you went from the outer court to the holies. And when you stepped into the holies, you began to see things like candlesticks that are lit. You began to see bread that was there. You began to see an altar of incense. And he said, listen, this is what it represents. Jesus is the light of the world. He has daily provision for you and will provide for you. And this incense is your prayers as they go up to heaven. In other words, the things you're thinking, the things that are reality that are not in the physical, that's my soul. The holies is my soul. It's where I commit myself to him. But then there was a curtain. And beyond that curtain was the holy of holies. That 
is where God dwelled. That is where God came to. That is where God met with Moses. He did not meet with him in the holies. He did not meet with him in the outer courtyard. He met with him in the holy of holies. You are the temple of God. You have three parts. Your outer court is your physical body. The holy place is your soul. And the holy of holies is your regenerated spirit where God comes and dwells in you. So I'm going to go back to Ephesians 2, 3. Among them, we too all formerly lived. I used to be with them where they lived. And when we were there, we were in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires. Watch this. You begin to see it everywhere. We began to indulge the desires of the flesh, the body, and of the mind, the soul, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, but because of his great love for which he loved us, God, which is rich in mercy, we sang about it, made us alive in Christ, with Christ, in the spirit, even though we were dead in our transgressions, by grace we have been saved. Three parts, we were in the flesh, indulging the things of the mind, but Christ made us alive in the spirit. Now watch, sin, can come into the outer courts of the temple. You gotta read your Old, your Old Testament. You gotta see what went on back then. A king named Manasseh came into power. The temple was in existence and he set up Asherah poles in the outer courtyard. In other words, they were bowing down to a foreign idol in the temple courtyard of God. Sin had entered the outer courtyard. Are you with me? Yes. All right, I know we're going deep. So the question is, can sin enter your body? Adultery, drunkenness, those are things where there's a physical representation of sin in a person. Sin can also come into your holy place, into the mind. David, a great king, wonderful man, there was a rule in the Holy of Holies. There were 12 loaves of showbread, and what happened is those got swapped out on a regular basis, but the only people who could eat that showbread was a priest. If you were not a priest, you could not eat the showbread. David was not a priest, but David had some fighting men uh, and they were hungry. And so he went into the holy place and he took the bread and he gave it to his men and he got confronted for it. What was he doing? Something sinful. He was eating the showbread that was made for the priest and he was not the priest. Are you with me? Sin had entered his Mind Can sin enter the soul and mind of a person today? Yes, it's called lust, it's called greed, it's called pride. It's not a physical thing, it's in our soul, it's in our emotion. But sin could not enter the holy of holies. Where God was, sin could not go. There is a traditional story of how they used to take a rope and tie it around the priest's foot because once a year he had to go past the curtain and he had to put the blood of the sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant. And they tied a rope, uh, rope around his foot because if he had gone in there in any way sinful, he would have dropped dead and they could pull him out. Sin can't enter the presence of God. So in the holy of holies, you can't have sin. The regenerated spirit of man is in the holy of holies where the spirit dwells. The body for you and I as a believer is still corrupt. The flesh is at war with the spirit. Galatians 5:17. The soul of a man is still corrupt. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why would he be telling that to a Christian if there was no problem in your soul? He's saying your soul, your mind needs to be renewed. Uh, you've got to go back, okay? Uh, but an evil spirit or sin cannot enter my spirit because that's where the Holy Spirit is. So, but an evil spirit can, hang on, can oppress your soul and your body. Sin in the scripture got into the outer court and into the holies. Demonic presence, which is what the Asherah God was, uh, can get into our physical being and our soul, but not into our spirit. Evil spirit in the body plays out this way. Sickness, diseases, 
infirmities. Do you remember when Jesus met the woman who had been bent over for 18 years? What did he say to her? He cast the demon out of her and she straightened up. The demonic presence was causing a a long-term physical ailment for the woman. The evil spirit, the demonic in our soul. You ever known a believer who went through depression, who went through fear, who went through anxiety? It's an oppression on us by a demonic presence. Does it happen for the non-believer? Yes, but I'm telling you it can happen for the believer. Now, let me just say so that you don't go away from here thinking I'm one of those guys. Every physical affirmity is not caused by a demon. If you broke your leg because you were on the roof of your house trying to fix the chimney without a rope around you, you're just dumb. That's why you broke a leg. Demon didn't get a hold of your leg unless it was a demon of stupidity for you getting up there without a rope. If you're gonna stay out all night long in your swimsuit and it's 30 degrees, you're gonna get a cold. You will. That's not a demon unless it's a demon of stupidity. So does the Bible actually say, I think this is where it comes down to, you grab it or you walk away from it. Does the Bible actually say, and I'll go further, does Jesus actually say in scripture that his people, his children, the children of God, the believer, does scripture ever say that we can have the demonic? Yes, watch this, Mark 7, 24. Jesus, everybody say Jesus. Jesus. Got up and went away from there into the region of Tyree. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was Gentile of the Syrophoenician race. That's gonna be so important. She's Syrophoenician, she's a Gentile. And kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Buckle up and listen to Jesus' response. And he, Jesus, was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Dude, he's rude. No, he's not. I'll I'll explain what he said. But she answered and said, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, because you answered in the way you did, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter and you can go back, she went back home and found the daughter lying on the bed and the demon had left. All right, let's evaluate a little bit what just happened. She is Greek. She is Syrophoenicia. She is from Phoenicia. Uh, This is the seat of paganism in the day. It is where Jezebel was from. The occult, sorcery, all of those things are in the Phoenician culture. And so this lady came out of an occult background, therefore her child has a demon. That's not contested. It's not contested when he tells you she's Greek, she's a Syrophoenician, and she says, my daughter has a demon. So we know that's fact. Why did he call her a dog? Why did he said, you want deliverance, but I can't give it to you because it's for my children, not for the dogs. Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have a right to the tree of life. What are we talking about? Washing their robes so you can have a right to the tree of life and may enter by gates into the city. Blessed are those who wash their robes, who have the right to the tree of life and can enter the city. We're talking about the believer. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral person and the murderer and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. What did he just say? Inside are those who have the right to the tree of life, eternal life through God. You have that, okay? But outside, these people are dogs. What did dogs represent? People who were not saved. That's why he called her a dog. He said, you're not saved. I don't know if you just got that. 
Philippians 3, 2 says, beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. They're not actually in covenant with the Lord, he said of the dogs. So she's asking for deliverance for her child. Jesus talks in biblical, um, um, biblical language and he says, it is not right to give to the non-believer what belongs to the believer. Let the children be satisfied first. What did she ask for? She asked for deliverance. And Jesus said, let the children be satisfied first. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. We're not talking anymore about the age of the person and the fact that it was a little girl. The dogs were all of those who did not believe. He said, don't take what belongs to those who believe and give it to those who don't believe. Ooh, deliverance is not initially for lost people. It's for the children of God. Hang on, we're still gonna talk about deliverance for the lost person. But he says deliverance is the bread given to the children of God. So why did Jesus say deliverance is for the children of God if children of God cannot be oppressed by demons? Here's the good news. The spirit of the believer is live and the Holy Spirit is dwelling in it. So you have everything you need to get deliverance from a demonic oppression. Now, let me, let me just clarify this so when we go on, you got it. Christian, you cannot be owned by a demon. Christian, you can be oppressed by the demonic. You can be in your body and in your soul, but that demonic can never take your salvation because the Holy Spirit is in your spirit. Are you with me? So if you deliver a lost person, the dogs as it calls them, and I'm not offending anybody here today because I'm gonna give you a chance to accept Christ if you're lost. But what he's saying is if you deliver a lost person from a demon and they don't accept the Holy Spirit into their regenerated and washed spirit. In other words, they reject salvation. The demon will leave that person, go around, find seven more and come back. Oh, let's do it. Matthew 12, Matthew 12, 43 through 45. I know there's a lot of information. You can go back and watch this over and over. Now, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places. Let me explain what a waterless place is. Who is the water? Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rivers of living water. And this he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. So the demon will pass through water. In other words, he's gonna go anywhere the Holy Spirit is not seeking rest and doesn't find it. Then he says, I'll return to the house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of this person or this man becomes worse than the first. This is the way it will also be with this evil generation. What did he just say? Demons are seeking a place where the Holy Spirit is not. When they come back and the place is unoccupied, the Holy Spirit is not there. You may have delivered that person from a demon. They may have put away their pornography. They may have become a good person. But if they've never accepted Christ as their savior and had their spirit regenerated, then it's an unoccupied dwelling, even though it's swept and put in order. Somebody delivered you from the demonic. I feel freedom. This is awesome. This is great. God's a good guy. So I think what I'll do is I'll start going to church. I'm going to quit watching porn. I'm going to quit sleeping with my girlfriend. And so I'm going to start walking the right ways. Oh, what a dangerous place to be. Because if they haven't accepted Christ as their Savior and they don't have the Holy Spirit there, then he's saying seven are coming back. Mm. For the believer... There are warnings in the Bible that tell us to watch Satan's power over the believer. Watch this. You'll, I'm telling you, you're going to see these scriptures in new ways. Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. Our word, lying. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. Speak truth each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. He's talking about the church. Be angry and yet do not sin and don't let the sin go down on your anger and don't give the devil opportunity. <laughs> I love this scripture. 
I love this scripture because it's so consistently misinterpreted. Don't go to bed if you're mad at your wife. Because if you go to bed and you're mad at your wife, the devil's gonna come to you in your dreams and he's gonna give you evil dreams and evil thoughts and he's gonna tempt you and things are gonna be horrible. That's not what this is saying at all. It doesn't have anything to do about going to sleep when you're mad. Uh, Can you consider the fact that he says, don't go to bed angry, but it's okay if you're angry during the day? Just don't go to bed that way. Because that somehow opens the door. That's not what he's saying. This scripture says, lay aside lying, speak truth, be angry, but don't sin. We know there's a righteous anger, the anger for God, and an unrighteous anger that comes from the enemy. Don't let the sin go down on your anger and give the devil opportunity. Let me just clarify you what he's saying. He's saying, don't get angry and sinful because you're giving the devil opportunity to oppress you. Don't lie because you're giving the devil opportunity to oppress you. That's the opportunity he's talking about. If you're gonna be a liar and an unrighteously angry person, then you're giving the devil opportunity, not because you went to sleep, but because you were lying and you were angry. 2 Corinthians 2.10, but one one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for the sake of the presence of Christ so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his schemes. What did he just say? The enemy has a scheme that if you are unwilling to forgive, he can oppress you. Oh, But pastor, you don't know what that person did to me. I can't forgive them. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And I'll tell you why. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, I think. Because forgiveness doesn't have anything to do with them. It has everything to do with you. You have got to say, I will not hold this anger. I will not hold this bitterness. I will not hold this frustration. I am releasing them. Why? Because an unforgiven spirit is bitter and you are carrying the bitterness That other person is not. I got in trouble for saying something about your ex-husband. But anyways, my point is we have to forgive. If we're holding bitterness against someone, it is an opportunity for the enemy to oppress. You're going to need this in a minute. Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. What did you say? You will do battle with the enemy. You will do battle with Satan. You will do battle with the demonic. It's in the spiritual realm, but get ready, believer. You will do battle with the demonic. We have the Holy Spirit. So then you're asking the question, if I have the Holy Spirit, how does Satan have the opportunity to have power over me as a believer? If I have the Holy Spirit, how can he have power over me if I've got the Holy Spirit in me? Don't I have all authority? Yes, here's how it works. You left your house today. You came here to this place. Let's just say you left the door unlocked. And let's just say a thief is in your house right now. And when you go home, that thief is gonna be in your house. I'm asking you the question, does that thief own your house? No. Can he be disruptive and destroy and steal things? Yes. So he has some level of control over you in the way of fear and anxiety that you know when you get home, you guys are gonna get home and go. (laughs) The demonic is like that, it can enter and it can cause fear and anxiety because you know he's there, but he doesn't own you. Why? Because you have the authority to call the police and have him drug out. That's called going to church. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar if you guys are struggling with these kind of things. Alcohol. If the believer consumes too much alcohol and becomes drunk, does the alcohol own them? No. But will the alcohol cause them to do things that are not Christ-like? Yes, what's the solution? Get the alcohol out of the system. It's the same way, so in the thief and in the alcohol, it's a matter of getting it out and we leave the door unlocked for the demonic to come into our life. In these scriptures, through unforgiveness, 
through known sin, through lying, and with the Syrophoenician woman through the occult. Open doors, open doors. If you're lying to your spouse, open door for the demonic to come in. If you're not forgiving your mom or your aunt or your uncle, unforgiveness, open door. If you were involved in the occult, man, I didn't even know what a Ouija board was when I was 10. But if you're involved in stones and crystals, open door, open door for the, for the demonic to come in and oppress you. Here's the good news. We can cast the demons out. We can cast the demons out. Luke 7, Luke 10, Luke 10, 17. The 70 returned with joy. These are people Jesus sent out. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, man, I'm watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all of the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Uh, this is widely preached when we're on this topic, but I think everybody misses the next verse and it's so much fun, I gotta read it. At that very time, Jesus just said, you guys just came back and said you could cast out demons. That's awesome. You don't need to rejoice in that because they're subject to you. Just rejoice that you're in heaven so that you can do it. At that very time, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. He got happy. And he said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, and you have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, this way was well-pleasing in your sight. What just happened? Jesus got giddy that his followers could cast out demons. He just God, this is so great. It's in the spiritual realm where we are, and, and these guys are infants in this whole thing, and you're letting them cast out the demons. That's awesome. So if you're here today, I want you to hear about Jesus first. I'm gonna read a scripture to you and then I'm gonna present the gospel to you. Luke 4, 16 through 19. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. Okay, the synagogue is much like the church building of today. They're sitting around in an amphitheater kind of thing in a, typically a smaller room. We'll visit some synagogues when we're in Israel. There is a podium up front. They take the scroll out, they unroll the scroll and read. And that's what Jesus is doing. He stood up to read and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and he found the place where it is written, Jesus speaking. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Spirit is on me, Jesus says, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has anointed me to tell everyone of the good news of the kingdom of God, that you don't have to be in the kingdom of darkness, that you don't have to be overrun by the enemy, that you can be in the kingdom of light and life and eternal life. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, here he is saying, I can set you free from your sin. I set the people in Egypt free from their sin. They got to go to the promised land. I can set you, give you release from the captivity of sin and recover sight of the blind. Jesus says, I can heal you physically. I can heal you physically. To set free those who are oppressed. Jesus said, I can provide deliverance from the oppression of the enemy and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. What did he just say? It's now. It's now. These things are now. You can enter the kingdom of God. You can be free from your sin. You can get physical healing. You can be delivered from demonic oppression and it's all available to you now because Jesus saves, heals, and delivers. Sozo. So if you don't wanna take on Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you want to reject Him and say, I'm not interested in your Jesus, this is what I'm saying to you. The demons have every right to you. They can oppress you physically, they can oppress you emotionally, they can bring depression, anxiety, all kinds of suffering on you. But Jesus said, if you know me, I've got every tool you need to get rid of those guys. How do we do that? It works this way. God created man in the garden. 
forget evolution. I'm telling you, forget evolution. And here's why. It cannot answer the question, why is there male and female? It cannot answer that question. That does not make any sense in environmental adaptation or survival of the fittest. That, that this amoeba that grew out would say, let's make an amoeba that's kind of this way, an amoeba that looks a lot like it, but it's a little different. And we need a part of this amoeba to go into a part of this amoeba to make another amoeba that might be like one of, that's not, evolution doesn't make sense. That's why God said he created them male and female. And he said, reproduce after your own kind. He put them in a garden and he said, it's all yours to enjoy. You have dominion over the earth and you have this garden, eat from every tree in it. I'll take care of you. I'll walk with you in the cool of the day. Stay away from this tree, the tree in the garden. And people would say, well, why did he put something in there so that we could do something wrong? Because he gave us a choice. You can be with him or you can not be with him. You can obey and follow him or you can reject and walk away from him. Satan comes into the garden and deceives Eve. Women, that ought to make you just sigh for relief for a moment. She was deceived. She didn't know she was doing wrong. She was deceived. She saw that the fruit looked good, that it tasted good, and it would make one wise. Satan told her, this will make you like God. Adam, it says, was with her and Adam sinned. He knew it was wrong, he did it anyways. Now there's a fracture. Now there's a rejection. What Adam and Eve just said in that one act is, we no longer want to follow what you say, God. This Satan is telling us there are better things and cooler things and we can be more. So we're going to reject what you want and we're going to follow Satan. Listen to me. If you're not following God, you're following Satan. And you will spend an eternity with whoever you are following. So God comes into the garden and says, what have you done? What have you done? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to? Listen, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna cast you out of the garden, so you're gonna have to go this road on your own, but I'm gonna make a way for you to get back to me. I'm gonna send my son, Jesus. He's gonna come to the earth and he's gonna live as a man, just like you are, Adam. He's gonna walk it out just like a man, but the difference in him and you is he's not going to sin. He will never reject me. He will never disrespect me. He will never disobey me. He will honor me. He will be mine. So when he dies, he's not following Satan, he's following me and he will come and be with me. And yet Jesus went to a cross and said, I will take all of their punishment. And he who knew no sin became sin so that they might become in right standing or the righteousness of God. Jesus said, condemn me and let them be called righteous. I will take the punishment. I will take the brutalization. Listen, you gotta see this. I'll take the brutalization to my body. They will whip me. They will pull my beard out. They will put a crown of thorns on me. I'll take abuse to my body. But then it says, they mocked him. He took abuse to his soul. Uh, They ridiculed him and, and mocked him. And then they took him to a cross. And on the cross, it says, he gave up his spirit in saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because now he's separated from God because he's carrying my sin and sin can't be in the presence of God. He's taking my condemnation, he's taking my punishment upon himself so that I might be seen as righteous before God. What does that mean? It means one day since I have agreed, Jesus did that for me, I believe in him, he's my savior, he's my Lord, he's my redeemer. And because I believe in that, because I put my faith in that, I'm gonna stand before God. And I'm just gonna tell you, there's only two ways Make it simple. Two ways you can stand before God. One way is in self-righteousness. But God, I was a good person. I gave those people on the street corner money. I went to church on a regular basis. I was generous to people. I wasn't mean and nasty. I wasn't a drunkard. I didn't commit adultery. And yet, Adam and Eve got removed from his presence for one sin. Are you gonna tell me you've never even committed one sin? separation from God or the second way you're going to stand in front of God. I am not worthy. I followed. I walked. I fell. I got back up. I praised you. I worshiped you. I made mistakes. But for every mistake I made, Jesus Christ took the punishment on the cross. And the scripture says, I can be hidden in him, the righteous one. What am I saying if you don't know Jesus this morning? 
that He is madly, passionately, and desirously in love with you and wants you in the kingdom of God. And all He's saying is, would you be willing to admit you're not following God? Would you be willing to admit you are sinful, but that He took all of your sin on the cross He took all of the punishment, all of the condemnation, and he gave you righteousness, a right standing before God so that you can invite his Holy Spirit to come and dwell in your washed and regenerated spirit so that the Holy Spirit can begin casting that stuff out of you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, friend, there's an eternity ahead of you. You will stand before God and you will either spend an eternity with him an eternity out of his presence, yes, in a place called hell. So I'm just gonna ask you right now, are you willing this morning to say, I need what Jesus did for me. I need it applied to my account. I, I need to know that he took my sin on the cross, that he died and was punished and was separated from God, and that the Holy Spirit rose him from the dead so that he could show there's an eternal life and he could give it to me through my belief in him as my savior. That's what he's asking you to do today. Will you believe that you're sinful, but that Christ paid the punishment for it? And if you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you will have an eternity with God. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes for just a moment. Ask yourself the question, which one of the two am I? Am I standing before God trying to convince him I was a good person? Or am I standing before God telling him I'm hidden in Christ because he died for me? If you don't know that he died for you right now, tell God. I believe he died for me. I believe he paid all of my punishment. I believe, God, that the consequences for my sin were put on Jesus, and I'm accepting him right now as my king, my Lord, my savior. Come and send your spirit to me. Give me new desires. Help me not to want the things I want that are not of you, and help me to want the things that are of you. Save me. Forgive me. In Jesus' mighty and holy name, I'm gonna ask you to keep your eyes closed for just another moment because scripture says that all of heaven rejoices when one person says, I want what Jesus did for me. If that was you today, I just wanna know if there's a party going on in heaven because today you've decided to take on Jesus as your savior. So eyes closed, this is me and you. And I'll explain why I'm doing that in a minute. Just raise your hand. Say, I took that on today. I see you. I see you. Who else? Praise God. I believe that the scripture says that if you know me, you'll confess me. And I'm telling you, if you know him today, you will confess him. You don't have to stand up and come up before a church. You gotta begin confessing him as your savior. Now we're gonna do something. We're gonna minister right now and we're gonna minister against the demonic. We're gonna take the authority that Christ has given us and we're gonna minister against the demonic. We're gonna cast the demonic out of your life and I'll tell you in a minute who I'm talking to. But right now, I want my altar ministers to come forward. You're gonna be available and ready to minister as we go into this process. What are we gonna do today? I wanna know from you, from you, Is there a torment in your life? Something that just never seems to go away. It's an anger, it's a frustration, it's a fear, it's a depression, it's an anxiety, and it just never seems to leave. Maybe you've got a physical oppression. You're constantly sick. The sickness won't leave you, and when it does, another one comes, and you don't know what's going on. Or maybe you're hearing voices. Voices that are telling you to do things that you know are not of God. I'd like everybody to stand to your feet. And if you feel like you're being tormented by something demonic and you want it cast out of you, I need you to come to the front. And listen, you gotta be brave because there are people saying, I don't wanna go tell them I got demons. No, what you're saying is I've got an oppression and I want freedom from it. So I need you to come forward and we're gonna get that thing cast out of you this morning. Come on, just come right up in here, right up in here in this main section. Uh, Open that gate right there. George, open that gate right there. Let them come straight on up. I just want a group of people down here. I'm gonna minute, we're gonna cast that thing out of you this morning. Listen to me, you may be saying, oh, I'm a believer, I've been a believer for 20 years, there's no devil oppressing me. And yet, 
You go to sleep in fear every night over your finances. You wonder if your spouse is being faithful or not faithful. You've got some physical problems going on and you're letting the fear rise up in you and you're wondering, what in the world? Why won't this go away? Why can't I be healed? Why am I always depressed? Why is there anxiety? Why is there, come on, if it's a physical issue, come on, whatever it is. We're just gonna deal with it this morning with the authority Jesus gave us because he told us you have power over, you have authority over the demonic and we're gonna take authority over the demonic. I'm gonna give it just a few more minutes because people are still coming. I just need you just right here, just line up. People brave enough to say, man, I got something going on in my life I want out of my life. People are gonna walk out of here in a freedom that they've been waiting for, some for years, some for months. All right, now for everybody who's standing down front, I'm gonna ask you to be a part of this process. I'm gonna ask you together to say something with your mouth so that we can walk through to the place where we'll cast this out. This is what I want you to say. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God and that you died and rose again and I am forgiven before God. I renounce all pride and self-righteousness. Right now, I need you. I will confess my sin before you. And if you've got a particular sin, you know what it is, pornography, drunkenness, adultery, whatever it is, confess it before him right now. Just say, I'm just confessing that before you, God. I repent of my sin and turn from it. Now listen, by my own will, I forgive all of those who have hurt me all of those who have wronged me. I release bitterness. I release resentment. And I release hatred. And if there's a name of a person that you are bitter or hateful or resentful against, speak their name and say, I release them. I sever all contact with the occult or false religions. I renounce them in the name of Jesus. I ask you to release me through the cross of all curses in play over my life. I submit to you, Lord, and I resist the devil. So Jesus, this is my part. So Jesus, By the authority you've given us, I take authority over Satan and the demonic spirits. I command you evil spirits to go now in Jesus' name. These these are the sons and daughters of God covered in the blood of Jesus and they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony of belief in Jesus. I take authority over every spirit of bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, hate, malice, envy, or jealousy. And I command you to go. I rebuke every spirit of insecurity or inferiority or rejection, self-hate, self-destruction, suicide, anger, murder, violence, sexual immorality, or impurity, adultery, fornication, lust, pornography, all forms of sexual impurity, and I command you to go in Jesus' name. The spirit of pride, lying, Jezebel, rebellion, manipulation, and control, I command you to go. Every spirit of criticism, judgmentalism, arrogance, or racism, prejudice, every spirit of greed or materialism, covetousness, self-ambition, depression, anxiety, addictions, drunkenness, drugs, gluttony, I command you to go. Every spirit of legalism, religious pride, heresy, or false doctrine, I command you to go. Every spirit of stealing, slothfulness, laziness, unbelief, rebellion to authority, I command you to go. Every spirit of guilt, shame, and embarrassment, humiliation, I command you to go. Every spirit of sickness, disease, and infirmity, I command you to go. Every spirit of witchcraft or the occult or blasphemy, I command you to go in Jesus' name. I break every word, curse, and spell into my brothers and sisters in Christ, every generational curse I break and I command it to be null and void and all the demonic spirits within my hearing I command you to go and to release these people now in the name of Jesus well what did you think has God been speaking to you about any of these things 
we would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at reviveusnow.com. We're really excited that Pastor Todd has released his first book of 2023, Love Never Lies. He shares with us how Jesus loves us, but he always tells us the truth about sin and righteousness and how we should act in this world. The world wants to tell us what the Bible says about these things and how our understanding is unloving, even hateful. But we must look for ourselves at the Bible and at Jesus and see that Jesus loves everyone, but he never compromises on truth. This new book is very relevant to all Christians in today's crazy times. Love Never Lies is available on Amazon now. This podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue, Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.